Hello, everyone. My name is Bobby Julik. I know it's been a while since you've heard my voice, and many of you guys have been reaching out to me asking about Fizzo. Well, got some good news and some bad news. Bottom line is Fizzo is no more for now. Gus Morton and I had 84 fantastic episodes, and I want to thank him and Eddie Rogers for two great years. But don't worry, we've shifted gears and we have you covered. Subscribers don't have to do anything, but the big news is we have a new co-host this year and his name is Jens Vogt. Hey Bobby, I'm so pleased and honored to be part of this and to work with you again after all these years we know each other. So without further ado, Jens Vogt, my best friend in cycling, welcome to Bobby and Jens. You know, we, we have known each other for, for quite a while. And to those out there that haven't seen the documentary that we filmed back in, oh my gosh, that was a while ago. I think it was 2004 called Overcoming. Jens and I have definitely known each other for a long time. My wife used to refer to him as my second wife, and my daughters used to call him Uncle Jens. This being said, not sure you can find more opposite personalities both on and off the bike, but we made it work, I guess. So, Jens, let's uh, you know just break the ice here a little bit. Um, one of the things that people have asked us before is when did we first actually meet each other? I remember my side of the story, but do you remember when, what race, and what year we actually talked for the first time? Of course I do, because I was a neopro, an older neopro with 27 years of age almost, but I was a neopro. It was in Pyrenees um, in 1989. Some... Up well, wait, let me... Let me slow your roll there. 89, we would have been juniors, so uh, I think you inverted the... The year there, 98, right? I did. Shame on me. 98. Correct. <laughs> 98. Um, yeah, and it was uh, during the stage race, Perinese. Uh, we had a hilltop finish coming up, like a 10, I believe about 14 kilometer climb. Terrible weather. Snow mixed with rain uh, was cold. And I was just hanging in there and trying to get a good position because I was on a Neopro contract for very, very, very little money. Um, and I only had a one-year contract. So I needed to get a result as soon as I can to get a new and hopefully a better contract. And I was getting on, on your nerves. You said, hey, listen, you're a good rider. I see that. But hey, just chill out and sit down somewhere. Wasn't it something like that? That was exactly it. And uh, not more than, I don't know, 30 seconds after I said that, and I thought you actually understood and heard me. You take off and get try to get into the breakaway, and I just said I can't talk to this guy. My God, who is he? But uh, that that was the beginning, and you know, obviously that kind of broke the ice for us. And uh, we went on to be teammates at Credit Agricole for two years. Then I flicked off and went to Telecom, which was uh, kind of odd that I rode for a German team and and you never did. Um, not the best two seasons of my life, I'll admit. But then we were able to hook back up at CSC, which is where Overcoming was filmed. And, you know, the rest was rest was kind of history. But, um, yeah, everyone out there needs to know that Jens and I, uh, even though being brothers from another mother, we could not have been more opposite. And just 
just to give you a little story about Yenzi, um, you know, you get a schedule every day before, you know, the night before the race that tells you what time breakfast is, what time you need to have your suitcases out, what time you need to be on the bus. And I was one of those guys that, you know what, I want to wake up, I want to have a nice, relaxed breakfast, maybe even read the paper or something like that. So I would go down, I'd normally be the first guy down there, and I'd eat my breakfast, really enjoy myself, and the the other teammates would start trickling in. Then when I'm walking back up to the room thinking, you know what, Yen's overslept, I better go up there and wake him up. I see this guy like putting his phone in his pocket and running downstairs like with already with a little sheen of sweat on him and uh asked me in about hey where's the breakfast table if i had a nickel for every single time you asked me where the breakfast table was like at the last minute when the rest of us are like actually going back up to the room to get ready uh yeah i'd be a i'd be a rich man but jens was that part of your preparation for races did you need like stress in some way shape or form did you need to have like that that timer going off in your head because I never understood it. Well, um, I think from my side of um, my side of the story is uh, a little bit the same, but also differently. Like people, you wouldn't believe if we talk about the first race of the season, which just now finished the Tour de Bessage, We did that many years as cyclists at the Tour de Bessage in February. Bobby Julek already had the daily schedules for the Tour de France six months later. He had them all printed in his suitcase, ready. He did read them. Normal people would read books. Bobby used to read the daily schedule six months ahead. Unbelievable how prepared he was. So, no, I was not. I think I just like to uh, show up and follow the flow. Um, and, yeah, I don't uh, prepare too much. I remember one time um, I was rooming with Chris Boardman, like in my first year as a pro, I believe. And uh, Chris was a little similar like you, Bobby. He prepared things like, you know, perfectly. And then one evening he looked at me and I think he was half serious. He looked at me and went with his British accent, Liverpool, um, said, hey, should I be a rebel and put my number on tomorrow? That was his definition of being a rebel. Like, I put the number on like 50 minutes before the start, right? Everything earlier was just a waste of time. Now I think I just needed that stress to get uh, ready and get the adrenaline rushing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't normally say this to somebody else, but you used to say it about yourself. You said, I'm like a headless chicken. And describing the way that you looked going around in the bus and, and all that stuff, you did act a little bit like a headless chicken, but you also said something that really has stuck in my mind. You said, Bobby, only a genius can control the chaos. Tell us a little bit about that philosophy, because that's, that's one of those world according to Yen's quotes, in my opinion. Uh, yes, um, and I believe it, it started like this. Keeping things in order is for the small-minded people. The genius controls the chaos. Um, yes, indeed. Um, I basically think uh, half of that I just made up to cover myself, to don't look bad or to don't look unprepared. But I, I believe, yes, um, I'm much better if I'm unprepared and spontaneous. If it comes to racing, to talking, to doing things, I believe, I feel for myself, I lose a bit of the sharp edge of my mojo if I'm too prepared. I start to 
think too much about it and I lose the spirit a little bit. So I believe really I function better if I'm last minute or last second, to be more honest, last second at the team bus. Uh, I just needed that. Um, and it, uh, it, it worked uh, through my life. Well, yeah, I, I definitely, um, if you guys don't see a theme um, already starting here, I was all about preparation equals execution. You were all about just, hey, don't think about it, wing it, do the best you can, shut up legs, all that stuff. Um, one thing that used to really crack me up, though, was when it was time to leave. You know, the team bus is pulling out. And everything that I just said maybe gets all the listeners thinking, oh, you know, he was always late. He was always doing his own thing. But I must admit, you were never on time, but you were never late. And a couple times, I mean, I'm sitting there. This was before iPhones, you know, and stuff like that. You know, we had the, the you know, digital time, not the Apple time. And I'd sit there and I'd be like three, two, one. And you would just bound in the bus at the last second, like already sweating with, you know, your jersey hanging out of your out of your backpack and like, I'm not late. See, I am not late. I am not late. Well, you know, we're doing a podcast now, so um, got to make sure you're not late for this sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that is uh, the biggest challenge. I told my kids and my wife to remind me every half an hour, hey, it's in two hours. It's in one hour 30. It's in one hour so that I wouldn't be late. Um, I try to get better. Honestly, since I can start or since I start remembering things, it's one of my New Year's uh, resolutions. I want to be on time this year. I'm going to be better. Nah, didn't work for the last 40 years. <laughs> but I try, I try, I swear. I try really hard. And then like about the 5th of January, I just put it in the too hard basket. Yeah. Try next year again. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, um, Jens, I'm, I'm kind of interested because, you know, we, we are you know, so close yet so far away on many things. If you could borrow an attribute from myself and I'm going to answer the same question, what would it be? What is the one thing that you wish that you could do that I often do? Well, even though I risk to repeat like the last 50 minutes of our chat, uh, your preparedness, uh, it made me jealous to look at your suitcase, to look at your bike, to look at the race plan you had printed out. You would read the road book and remember all these critical points, right? Um, yeah, I would love to be a little bit more like you in that specific uh, um, domain, yeah, to be a little bit more prepared and more strategic and analytical. Yeah, that's what I'm missing and you had so much of it. See, that's that's funny that you say that because I would have to say that uh, I would pick the basically spontaneous way that you attacked because maybe I overcalculated, maybe I overanalyzed, and they always say overanalysis equals paralysis. And that's what I loved about the way that you race. Sometimes it was quite annoying because, you know, even when you're on the same team, you're like, oh my God, Jens is in the breakaway again. Like, what are we going to do? If you're the kind of cyclist like Jensi and I, who like to ski and hike and ride mountain bikes, check out the new Active Pass from Pocket Outdoor Media, the parent company of VeloNews. We're both Active Pass members and we're getting access to exclusive gear discounts, cycling events, training plans, and premium content from Ski Magazine, Yoga Journal, Trail Runner, 
Climbing, Backpacker, and other pocket publications. You can too. All told, it's a $350 value that normally sells for only $99. But if you enter our special coupon code, BobbyYens25, that's B-O-B-B-Y-J-E-N-S-25 at checkout, you'll get 25% off. Go to velonews.com forward slash ActivePass and enter BobbyYens25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout to receive your special 25% discount. Bike racing is back on TV. We had the Etoile de Bessege this weekend. I mean, thank goodness. I mean, we've been kind of lacking. A lot of these races have been pushed forward, delayed, postponed, canceled. But Etoile de Bessege and Grand, Grand Prix Marseillaise, which was often the way that we started off our season uh, back when we were on French teams, did kick off. I know it's been a long time since, you know, road racing has been on TV, but did you actually pay attention and uh, look at some of the results and uh, make any observations of the 2021 season so far? Yes, um, of course, I followed what uh, was going on, starting with the uh, Tour Down Under or the Adelaide Cycling Festival, how they called it this year with only Australian riders there because of the COVID-19 uh, uh, situation. And Richie Port uh, did win seven his seventh stage win on the hilltop finish there on Vilunga Hill. As impressive as always. I believe he just needs that to get the first good result. His mind is free. Plus, he finds his new role at the Team Sky. I think we're going to see a lot more of him this year. He's already early in shape. Confidence is there. He's back at an environment. He feels happy. So I believe Richie is going to have a good season ahead of him. Even though he might be the domestic deluxe in the Tour de France, he will still be very strong. Well, and then we had Etoile Versace. Uh, yeah, some sprinters showed their, first, uh, showed their face for the first time. Um, impressive break. A long break was a very strong, big group. So open racing. Not so much tactical so far. Yeah, I, I thanks for reminding me about the um, the Tour Down Under uh, event that that Stuart O'Grady uh, took on on board this year. Going back to to Etoile de Bessege, it's um, not the biggest race, but with so many races being kind of postponed, pushed back, canceled, whatever. Um, you're right; it was it was open. So one of the things that um, you know, we're, we're playing with formats right now. We're kind of just, you know, free balling it right now. We're not doing anything, you know, fully structured. But one of the things that I was thinking of was putting up or creating a little segment in our show moving forward uh, called the Shut Up Legs Award of the Week. So taking that Etoile de Bessege just got over last week, um, who from Etoile de Bessege would get your Shut Up Legs Award of the Week? Well, you would have to pick Gunnar. I mean, he was so strong. Um, even though trying to help Kwiatkowski to maybe win it in the end, still managing to win the last stage in impressive style. The man is as strong as a horse. You got to pick him for this week. It's funny that you mentioned that stage that he was in that breakaway. Um, I, I tuned in. There was probably 70 kilometers left. I saw that he was in that breakaway. And I was just like, I thought of you. Because how many breakaways did you get in where you knew 
these guys are just passengers. Like when it when it comes down to it, and I make my move, they have no chance. I was thinking that exact same thing when I saw Ghana in the breakaway. Um, you know, an hour went by, switched on again. There he is, solo. He wins. You know, having you know six guys swap off behind him, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy is the new Jens Vogt. You know what? What is it? I wonder what it's like to be one of those guys. Luckily, I was never in the breakaway with you because I was on your team. But I wonder what those guys are thinking. Like, do they really think I've got a chance here? Um, because time after time after time, you proved them wrong. You know, like, hey, take a couple pulls with me. You know, here's a bottle. You'd probably be really nice to them. And then, boom, you would just, you know, attack them and, and win. And they'd be sitting there, you know, going for second and third place. So, yeah, Ghana winning that stage. I, I would have picked that one. Obviously, the time trial when he won the next day was, um, was kind of expected. But... I'm going to go outside the box here a little bit. The first stage was a sprint, and it was a little bit of an uphill sprint. And Christophe Laporte from um, Kofidis actually wound up winning. But the attack that was made with 500 meters to go from Buani, who um, used to ride for Kofidis, I saw him hit out from 500 meters to go. And I was just thinking, what, what is he thinking? Like, he doesn't have that sort of, you know, capacity to go for that long. But you know what? He tried. And uh, what I liked about that and why I'm going to give him the Shut Up Legs of the Week award is that instead of sitting there on the wheel and waiting, 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 he just went for it. So for me, Nasir Bohani, uh, he is um, my Shut Up Legs of the Week award winner. So... One way we want to kind of keep track of this is not 100% that we're going to keep this in the show, but if we do, uh, give us a hashtag shutuplegs and give us your opinion, our listeners' opinion of who you think the shutuplegs of the award uh, of the week should be. Um, Jens picked Ghana. I picked uh, Boani. Again, totally opposite. Here we go. A couple other things happened. That I would love to get your uh, take on, Yenzi. The UCI, not great. I don't know what they're doing. With all the things that we have going on in the sport right now, they came up with banning the super tuck and banning the aero position on your road bike. Come on, help me out here, Yenz. Give, uh, put it at least into a little bit perspective so I can understand this. Well, well, well. Um, the super tuck. I have to completely disagree with the UCI and I have to agree with you because I do not remember one single crash caused because of that. These guys are pros. They know what they do and they only use that position if it's a free road and they got enough space. So there's not one documented crash, I believe. I'm fairly sure because of that. So there's no reason at all to worry about it. You can have this little uh, disclaimer thing going, hey, please don't try this at home. But these guys are pros, so just stop it. Plus, now it's um, declared illegal. What happens next is they do the super tuck with one hand off the handlebar. Because then they call it, hey, listen, I did obey the rules. I wasn't in the super tuck. I was in a one-handed super tuck. And that one is not illegal yet. Ah, what I'm trying gotcha. to say I see is, where you're going here now. Okay, like, just change it up a little another bit. Ex- Yes, they will find another extreme position to actually get the same speed 
and maybe it, that might be even more dangerous. So that doesn't make sense. It's there's no point in actually banning that. The arrow position where you only have your 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 lower arms at uh, on the top of the handlebar and your hands basically nowhere because nowadays we don't even have these cables anymore from the brakes. I never like to see that because sometimes people do that in front of me because they are basically riding in the wind. They want to get more arrow and you sit behind these uh, riders and go, well, what if, what if there is the slightest little bump on the road? His hands are about 15 centimeters away from the brakes. And this one second he needs to get his hands onto the brakes might be the deciding moment between crashing or not. So I never liked that one. I have to agree with the UCI, that one, yeah. That should be banned. Okay, so UCI is uh, 50-50 here. Um, question. Have you ever done the Super Tuck? Well, of course. It's by far the most aero position um, you can find. And um, that's actually, they had a wind tunnel test about that. Yes, it is by far downhill the most efficient way to move fast. I never managed to pedal really while I'm in a Super Tuck like Fromey did. Um, back in the Tour de France uh, when he attacked on a downhill. Uh, but yes, I did use that, of course. Well, I haven't because from day one, I hated that position. I Maybe it was because I couldn't do it and you always you know, dislike what you can't emulate. But I had also been out of the sport a lot longer than you. So um, I think there have been some documented crashes um, or, you know, we see them get out of the super tuck and then they're going too fast and they hit a hit a rock wall like Philippe Gilbert did in the in the tour a couple of years ago and wound up breaking his kneecap. Um, I don't know if that was it, but um, that's a perfect, you know, the whole thing about breaking is is important. And if you can't get out of that position and break, then, you know, you're going faster, you misjudge things. But as far as the arrow position goes, and I get it, I totally agree. Like, do I really want to be riding behind a guy that could hit a little pebble and all of a sudden his hands go off the bars? So for me, Jens, you're old enough. You're, you're my exact same age. You remember the Spinacci clip-on bars, right? Should we, like, start a movement that, hey, if we can't put our hands on top of the bars and hold on to, I don't know, a cable with, like, one finger that we can have the Spinacci bars back? Were you a fan of Spinacci bars? Um, yes and no. They were awesome. If you're in a breaker with five guys, that's a fairly safe environment to use spinachi bars. Um, if you're in a peloton and, uh, um, you know, your $5 million Tour de France leader is in the middle of 50 other crazy guys in the uh, spinachi position, in the middle of the peloton to save like another 1.3 watts, I, I would get mad. I would go, hey, listen. You're a $5 million investment here in the yellow jersey. Please, have your hands on the brake, please. Mm. Um, so, um, yes, there were situations where I went, oh, no, 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 this is not going to end up funny. But moments where you go, oh, I'm so happy to have him. If we bring him back, we should have an um, addition. There need to be at least one brake on it so that you will be able to brake while you're in the aero position. Jeez, do you, do you want a little cup holder up there too, Jens, so that you can have a little snack or something? Come on. I mean, we're, we're old, but we, come on. We're, we're not that old. Anyway, anyway. UCI, mm, not great, not great. One, another thing that I saw this week that was pretty cool is uh, Chris Froome, staying here in, in California, did this really good uh, YouTube video. And 
you know, over the last 10 years when he was uh, controlled by, uh, you know, the, the, the empire, the sky, you know, uh, force field or whatever, we never really got to see him be him. And, you know, he came on the podcast last year, which was great. He's doing these things on YouTube. And I'd have to say it was one of the most unique, open and honest uh, clips I've ever seen. And I know he's Chris Froome, so he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to say what I want to say. Uh, maybe a Neopro would have to hide their, you know, kind of overall honest opinion. But the one thing that really stuck out to me was him talking about disc brakes. And again, just like the AeroTuck position, I do not have disc brakes on my road bike for this reason. Uh, I moved here to, to South Carolina a couple years ago and Christian Vanneveld and George Hincapie had all these fancy bikes and they had the, the disc brakes. And every time I ride with them, all you do is hearing, just hear it squeak, rub. It's so annoying. So when, when I got a new bike, which, uh, name drop Pinarello F12, they asked me, Hey, do you want rim or disc brakes? And they were really surprised when I said I wanted rim brakes. Um, so what do you feel about disc brakes? I mean, you probably, you, you, you stayed in the Peloton a lot longer than me. Did you actually race on disc brakes and what's your overall opinion? Do you have disc brakes on your, your bike that you ride now? Uh, yes. Um, well, on some of my bikes, I have a disc brake. The disc brakes, they do break better. There is no question about that. I tried both in the rain, in the sun. The, the biggest advantage of a disc brake is it has exactly the same braking power and braking point in the rain and in the dry or in the sunny weather. So you can always rely on it. And there's actually, believe it or not, more modulation. With your little finger or with, with your index finger, you can brake like really, really, really little smoothly or full gas. With the rim brake, you are much more likely to just slam it and to block the brake, which sounds unlogic if you're looking at uh, the two brakes, but you actually are able to produce more of a feeling for the brakes with the disc brakes. Um, the other brakes, rim brakes, do look better. They just look more integrated into the bike. Uh, they look just more aero. Um, Sometimes you, you can hardly see them anymore because they, you know, inside the frame and inside the, the, the fork. So, op, like, just in terms of optics, they do look better. Okay. I, I have disc brakes on my mountain bike. I have disc brakes on my gravel bike. And I love them. So, why can't they get disc brakes on the road bikes to be as good as they are on the mountain and, and, and the gravel bikes? I believe they are as good. But yes, you got to be super careful when cleaning them because um, the slightest drop of oil or any chemicals and then they start to make that uh, squeaking noise and people can hear you coming from a mile away when you're like coming home. My family would know, ah, dad is coming home. He must be just around the corner at the next petrol station. That's where he always breaks the last time and uh, we can hear him now. So that is clearly <laughs> a disadvantage. They function great, but it just... It's, it's noisy, yes, you are absolutely right there. Hey Jens, I know that today may have sounded like you were a guest instead of my new co-host, and I apologize for that, but you know, 
we've known each other for so long. I just wanted to make sure that you kind of knew the the road book a little bit, and um, you know, try to give you a lead out here and there. But next week, you know, it's time for you to go in the breakaway. So, who's our next guest? I mean, you, I've been asking you to show a little initiative and come up with a good guest. Who do we have in on on uh, on tap for next week? We will have a very very interesting guest. Absolute high profile, one of the fastest men on earth. And we will talk all about him. Where is he now? What is he up to now? And all his journey through his cycling career until today. So stay tuned. We will have a really, really cool guest. For sponsorship inquiries, get at us at sales at velonews.com. The show is a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. Producer is Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Please tune in next week. We have a fantastic guest in the bullpen. He was a sprinter for many years. He's going to be super interesting to talk to. Not as if I know anything about sprinting, but uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Our first live guest it's going to be fantastic.